You're listening to a podcast from GUT. Well, welcome to the GUT podcast. I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at Aberdeen University in Scotland, UK, and current Visiting Academic Fellow at the National Cancer Institute in the NIH in the USA. In my role as Education Editor for GUT, I'm hosting this podcast today. This month, I'm discussing the Editor's Choice Manuscript from the March issue of GUT, presented by Dr. Liam O'Mahony's group, entitled Bifidobacterium Infantis 35624 Administration in Fox P3 regulatory cells and human peripheral blood, potential role for myeloid and plasmocytoid dendritic cells. This work was conducted in the Swiss Institute of Allergy and Asthma Research, a centre of excellence for human immunobiology, along with collaboration from co-authors in Cork and Ireland. Well, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Liam O'Mahony here today to discuss his paper. My pleasure. Um, First of all, I'd just like to begin by exploring the background to the research. Can you give us an overview of the concept of intestinal homeostasis and the mucosal immunological features we expect to see as part of this? Sure. Um, So as we all know at this stage, the gut contains uh, an enormous number of bacteria which are metabolically active. And these microbes and their metabolites are actually recognized as foreign antigens by the host immune system. However, the mucosal immune system must learn very early on to tolerate these non-pathogenic microbes while maintaining the ability to respond aggressively to pathogenic bacteria. This is not a a passive process, and non-pathogenic bacteria are not ignored by the mucosal immune system. Rather, there's a very active antigen sampling mechanism which ensure that the uptake and processing of microbes within the gut, including from pears patches, for example, or dendritic cells will extend dendrites between epithelial cells to capture bacteria, that these antigen-presenting cells then can migrate to draining lymph nodes, such as mesenteric lymph nodes, where an appropriate adaptive immune response is initiated. And within the gut, multiple types of immune responses can be initiated, depending on the microbe itself. And in this case, we're particularly interested in the tolerogenic or regulatory immune responses, which are important for the maintenance of intestinal homeostasis. Well, thanks very much for that background. Um, Moving on to the paper, can you introduce your hypothesis to us and outline the key objectives you set out to investigate within the paper? So within our laboratory, we're basically focused on um, developing a better understanding of some of the more basic molecular mechanisms which contribute to immune regulation, both from a homeostatic as well as a therapeutic standpoint. And as already mentioned, this is particularly important within the gut, where there's such a large or uh, significant quantity of foreign antigens and metabolites. So therefore, our overall hypothesis is that certain factors within the gut microenvironment, such as specific bacterial strains, can actually selectively promote regulatory or tolerogenic responses in the host immune cells, which then contribute to an overall tolerogenic environment within the gut. So our specific objectives or our research questions uh, for this paper were, were twofold. Firstly, could a single microbe increase the number of FOXP3-positive T regulatory cells and IL-10 secretion in humans? And secondly, could we develop a better understanding of potential molecular mechanisms and cellular mechanisms which could underpin this induction of FOXP3-positive uh, regula- regulatory cells and IL-10 secretion? You use ingestion of the bacteria Bifidobacterium infantis as a strategy to influence the mucosal immunological activity. Can you introduce the features of this microbe to us and why this particular bug was chosen? So this 
Uh, microbe has been around for quite a while at this stage, actually. It was first originally isolated from healthy human gastrointestinal tissue in the mid-1990s by a research team at University College Cork. And they used gastrointestinal tissue, actually, instead of feces, so that they could enrich the strain bank with bacteria that existed in close proximity to gut epithelia without inducing an inflammatory response and therefore potentially could possess immunoregulatory activity. And at that time, about 1,500 strains were isolated, and these went through a, a standard panel of very basic in vitro microbial, microbial and immunological assays. And Bifidobacterium infantis 35624 began to stand out from the rest when we started to look at the bacterium in urine models. And what was, uh, the reason it stood out for us was that this strain had anti-inflammatory activity in a wide range of murine models, including colitis models, arthritis models, respiratory food allergy models, and also in pathogen-induced inflammation models. And what this suggested to us was that as this strain had anti-inflammatory activity in so many different models, that we hypothesized that the strain must induce some core or central immunoregulatory program that then could influence inflammatory activity regardless of the tissue that was inflamed. And indeed, when we looked in greater detail in these murine models, we found that this strain did induce murine FOXP3-positive Treg cells, and transfer of these Treg cells to naive mice could transfer the anti-inflammatory effect of this bacterium. So therefore, coming to the current study, we picked this strain because it's uh, our best model Treg-inducing bacterium in mice, and therefore we asked, could it do the same in humans? Can you describe the experimental methodologies you employed to investigate this? For example, firstly, can you describe your experimental population and control groups? So the experimental population in this case were healthy human uh, adult volunteers. So each potentially eligible uh, volunteer was evaluated uh, in the first case by a, a clinical history review, then a physical examination and a hematological and serum chemistry analysis. And so any clinicals, uh, clinically significant findings in any of these evaluation parameters led to the exclusion of that volunteer. So we, we made sure that these were uh, bona fide healthy volunteers. And in the first study we did, we used uh, healthy volunteers. Uh, Ten were randomized to receive the Bifidobacterium infantis, and 12 were randomized to the cryoprotectant placebo group. And they all received either the, the test or placebo product for eight weeks. And all investigators, of course, as well as the volunteers, remained blinded to the randomization process. Then we performed a second study, again in healthy adult volunteers, fulfilling the same selection criteria. Uh, but in this case, uh, all the subjects were fed Bifidobacterium infantis. We put everybody into the treatment group, and this was an additional 17 people. Okay, what methods did you use to investigate the effects of treatment with the bacteria? We utilized peripheral blood mononuclear cells, which we isolated on the day before feeding and the day that feeding finished, which was day 56, so eight weeks of feeding. And freshly isolated uh, PBMCs, peripheral blood mononuclear cells, were stained firstly with uh, monoclonal antibodies to the, the T-cell markers, CD4, CD25, ICAS, CTLA4, and FOXP3. And duplicate samples were stained and analyzed using flow cytometry. In addition, we stimulated some of these PBMCs with anti-CD3 and anti-CD28 antibodies for, for 48 hours. And at that time, we looked at lymphocyte cytokine production by measuring cytokine levels in the supernatants. 
Okay, so moving on to the results, just as you outlined, you use flow cytometry and some cytokine secretion profiles to phenotype T-cell response in the blood of your population. Can you outline the main findings from this and what this means in terms of characterising the immune response? Firstly, we found that the level of IL-10 secretion by stimulated peripheral blood mononuclear cells increased significantly following feeding with the Bifidobacterium infantis for eight weeks. No difference was observed in the placebo group. In the second study, we also confirmed that a significant increase in IL-10 secretion by stimulated PBMCs was observed following uh, Bifidobacterium infantis feeding. However, when we looked at other cytokines, such as IL-2, TNF-alpha, IL-12, or interferon gamma, there was no change follow, uh, following feeding uh, in this in vitro stimulated cytokine secretion assay. Therefore, there seems to be a, a very selective increase in IL-10 secretion, but not an overall immunostimulatory response for all cytokines. In addition, the percentage of CD4 positive lymphocytes expressing FOXP3 in peripheral blood increased from 8.1% prior to feeding uh, compared to a mean of 9.2% after feeding. And this increase was primarily driven by an increase in FOXP3 positive cells within the CD25 high and CD25 intermediate positive T cells. So overall, we see a selective increase in IL-10 secretion accompanied by an increase in FOXP3 positive cells, which we have interpreted to suggest that Bifidobacterium infantis induces a, regulatory, a selective a reg regulatory immune response in humans. You then concentrate on dendritic cells. And to start with, can you give us an overview of the function of these cells, why your focus was shifted to this cell type, and then the different subtypes you look at here? So within the gastrointestinal mucosa, there, there are obviously a number of different cell types, including epithelial cells, intraepithelial lymphocytes, macrophages, and dendritic cells that all uh, are important and required to maintain full intestinal homeostasis and tolerance. But in particular, we were interested both in the uh, myeloid and the plasmacytoid dendritic cell subsets, as these are in close contact with microbes within the gut and are responsible for presenting microbial and dietary uh, antigens to the adaptive immune system, thereby influencing polarization of the adaptive immune response via cytokine and also metabolite production. And dendritic cells also express a wide range of pattern recognition receptors, which allows them to respond appropriately to different microbes depending on the types of pattern recognition receptors that are activated. Therefore, the decision to induce FOXP3 positive T cells is significantly influenced by activation of distinct dendritic cell pattern recognition receptors, which we hypothesize could be one of the cellular mechanisms for the induction of FOXP3 positive T cells by uh, Bifidobacterium infantis feeding. We, so as I said, we, we examined both the myeloid and the plasmacytoid dendritic cell subtypes directly isolated from human peripheral blood. But in addition, we also generated monocyte-derived dendritic cells in vitro, which are generated by co-incubating freshly isolated monocytes with GMCSF and IL-4 for five days. Okay, can you give us an explanation of what you found with these dendritic cells and how they fit into the story? So all the dendritic cell subtypes we looked at uh, were able to bind the bacterium and they all secreted interleukin-10 in response to this microbe. What was very interesting from the beginning actually was that the uh, MDCs and MDDCs, so the myeloid dendritic cells and monocyte-derived dendritic cells, they did not secrete significant levels of IL-12 following co-incubation with this bacterium, while most other bacterial strains that we, we would routinely look at or have looked at induce both IL-10 and IL-12. 
And similarly, for plasmacytoid dendritic cells, these secreted IL-10, but not interferon alpha, suggesting again some selectivity in the response induced by this bacterium. So in addition to cytokines, this bacterium induced retinoic acid and tryptophan metabolic processes in myeloid dendritic cells and monocyte-derived dendritic cells, while tryptophan metabolism alone was induced in the plasmacytoid dendritic cells. From a receptor uh, point of view, both Tolec receptor 2 and DC signs seem to be important for the myeloid and the monocyte-derived dendritic cell cytokine and metabolic processes. While it was different in plasmacytoid dendritic cells, these seem to require TLR9 for their IL-10 responses. And so all of these subtypes uh, uh, of dendritic cells following stimulation with the bacterium actually induced FOXP3 positive expression in naive T cells. And when we use different inhibitors and we block different pathways, we found that retinoic acid metabolism was very important for the myeloid and the monocyte-derived dendritic cell induction of FOXP3, while tryptophan metabolism seemed to be much more important in the plasmacytoid dendritic cell subset. So overall, human dendritic cells have a relatively selective cytokine and metabolite response to this bacterium, resulting in the induction of FOXP3-positive regulatory cells. And overall, what is the main message from this work? So overall, I think the main message of this work is that Bifidobacterium infantis induces a regulatory immune response in humans. And the mechanism for this may involve both myeloid and plasmacytoid dendritic cells, which separately uh, utilize distinct pattern recognition receptors and metabolites, but ultimately they cooperate in the end result, which is the induction of regulatory lymphocytes. Can you suggest how your findings may fit into a clinical context, for example, to promote gastrointestinal health and any potential therapeutics for disease? Well, two clinical studies have already been performed and published with this bacterium, whereby it significantly alleviated the symptoms associated with irritable bowel syndrome. So in this patient group, I think it's already clear that this bacterium promotes gastrointestinal health. And there is a probiotic supplement uh, called Align uh, already on the market, which contains this bacterium. However, n now that we know that there is a potent induction of uh, uh, such a, a selective regulatory immune response in humans, I think it's time for us to test the usefulness of this microbe in other patient groups, such as patients with food allergy, eosinophilic esophagitis, and inflammatory bowel diseases. What's the future direction in this field, and can you outline how this story continues to evolve? I think there are actually a number of different directions that this field uh, should and, and needs to explore further. So firstly, what are the specific components or factors from microbes that promote immunoregulation? I think that identification of these factors will lead to a much more targeted approaches in the design of novel immunoregulatory therapeutic compounds. Secondly, we need to continue to further define the host molecular mechanisms which promote immunoregulatory activity in response to specific microbes like this one. For example, in our paper, we identified that TLR2, DC sign, and TLR9 are all important. However, it is clear to us that there are also additional receptors and pathways, as yet unknown, which recognize this microbe and promote immunoregulatory activity. In addition, we also identified in our work that both retinoic acid and tryptophan metabolic pathways are important. So this raises the possibility that dietary factors may also play a role in mucosal immunoregulation. And therefore, we need to further clarify which dietary factors could be combined with microbiota-associated signals 
to promote the optimal mucosal immunoregulatory activity. And lastly, as we've already uh, uh, mentioned, additional good quality clinical studies using well-defined immunoregulatory microbes needs to be conducted, as not all microbes will be equally effective. And I think we really need to better define uh, before doing the clinical studies which microbes are, uh, have this potent immunoregulatory activity. And these are the kind of microbes we should be progressing into human clinical studies. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast today. Um, Dr. Liam Mahoney, thank you very much for joining us and discussing your paper with us further. My pleasure. Thank you. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.